0: There's a lot said in scripture about the grace of God and how fortunate we are that we enjoy God's matchless grace. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 4 that God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith. He loved us even when we were dead in sin has made us alive together with Christ for by grace have you been saved. I want us to talk for a minute or two about the matchless grace of Almighty God. We're going to be looking at Romans, the fifth chapter. And as we look at chapter five, the first thing that I would call your attention to is the accessibility or availability of God's grace. Paul in verse 1 said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith, into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let's talk for a minute about the pathway to God's grace. How do we become the recipients or appropriate God's matchless grace? I would begin by saying that wherever you read about the grace of God, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It is always accompanied by teaching or instruction. In Titus chapter 2 at verse 11, Paul said, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man, instructing or teaching us. In the Old Testament, we have an example of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God, in the long ago, had decreed that he would destroy the world by means of a universal flood. And so in verse 14, God told Noah how that he and his family could escape that devastating flood. He instructed him to build an ark of gopher wood. And the Bible says in the last verse of chapter six that thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. And so when we talk about the pathway to the grace of God, what I would say is it is attainable through faith and obedience. You see, there is this system of faith, the gospel, that leads to what I would call a personal faith. For example, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15, Paul said to the Corinthians, I have begotten you through the gospel. The gospel is God's message that has been revealed to save lost mankind. When we comply with the conditions that are set forth in the gospel, then we enjoy the benefits and the blessings of God's grace. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter said, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, or the gospel. He goes on to say that they had been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So when we obey the gospel, We enjoy the blessings of salvation. Now, how does faith come? I said just a minute ago, there is this system of faith that leads to a personal faith. When individuals hear the gospel, hopefully and prayerfully, what develops is faith. And out of faith, they respond to the truth. And so, in Romans 10, verse 17... Paul said faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now take that and listen to what Paul said again in verse 1 of chapter 5 in the book of Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so it is through our obedience, through faith and obedience... That we enjoy the blessings of God's grace. His unmerited favor. God doing for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. Now as we think about this pathway to God's grace. Let me just talk for a minute or two about some of the provisions of God's grace. When we look at the New Testament. And we talk about the great blessings or benefits of God's grace, they are innumerable. There is a whole host of spiritual blessings that we enjoy in Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. All of the spiritual blessings known to man are in Jesus Christ. So let's just say that we decide to obey the gospel. We appropriate God's matchless grace. What can we expect? Well, first and foremost, there is pardon or forgiveness. When you and I decide to respond out of an obedient heart to the gospel, that is, the truths that are revealed about Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins, that he was buried and raised again on the third day, when we respond to that gospel, we enjoy pardon or the forgiveness of our sins. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul said in the long ago, in him or in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Think about those people on Pentecost Day Many of those people were well acquainted with the facts that had occurred on Calvary's hill. They knew about Jesus of Nazareth. They knew that Jesus had been put to death. Some of those people had been present at the cross. As a matter of fact, Peter indicts them as having put him to death. When they heard that message, they were cut or pricked in their hearts. And so they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They understood their lost condition. And so Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission or the forgiveness of your sins. So when we talk about the matchless grace of God, First and foremost, I think about the opportunity to be forgiven. To have my sins washed away or to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. You see, the blood of Christ is what washes away all sins. When Paul recounted his conversion in Acts 22:16, 16, he said he was instructed to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. What is it that washes away sin? Well, it's the blood of Jesus. That's why Paul said in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace in verse 7 of Ephesians 1. And then secondly there is peace. Look again at what Paul said in verse 1. Therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There are vertical dimensions of peace and there are horizontal dimensions of peace. We are to live peaceably with all men, according to what Paul said in the book of Romans. But we're talking primarily about the peace that we have with Almighty God. In other words, before we became a Christian, we were said to be without hope and without God in this world. We were estranged. We had no relationship with God. We were not at peace with our creator. But having obeyed the gospel, we have peace. We have, as Paul would say, the peace that passes all understanding in Philippians chapter 4. To know that I have peace with my creator. That I can go to bed at night and know that every sin has been forgiven. That I stand right in the sight of Almighty God. That if I stand before him in judgment, all is well. And then as I think about the provisions of God's grace, I am reminded of the praise that I have for him. And by that I mean, I step back and contemplate all that God has done for me through Jesus Christ. Listen again to what Paul said in verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice... In hope of the glory of God. Drop down and look at verse 11. In verse 11 he said, not only that, but also we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's that idea of individuals who have been estranged. They are alienated, separated from God. But through Jesus Christ, they have been reconciled. They've been redeemed. They enjoy a relationship with God. When you read the book book of Ephesians in chapter one, and Paul talks about all of these spiritual blessings that we enjoy in Christ, it's interesting to me that in verse six he would say, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. To know that God in his grace has reached out to me. To know that God is concerned with what we call the crown of his creation. So, the accessibility of God's grace. But then there is a second thing I want you to see, and that is the abundance of God's grace. Now we could talk about the blessings and the bountiful blessings of God's grace, but there are two specific things I want you to consider as we talk about the abundance of God's grace. First of all, the scope of his grace. We sang a song a minute ago about how his grace reaches me. Did you know that God's grace is available to all? That every member of the human family has been blessed with the availability to the matchless grace of God? Listen again to what Paul said in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man. All people have the blessings of enjoying or appropriating the grace of God. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, in verse 4, again, he said, but God, who is rich in mercy... For the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. Paul there is talking about both Jews and Gentiles, all people. You see, Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body under God through the cross. God, in his matchless grace, love and mercy, has reached out to the human family. And so, the scope of his grace, it extends to all. Listen to Jesus in John 3 16. For God so loved the world. There is not one person on planet earth that God does not love. God loves everyone. And God's grace is open to all. But here's what I want you to consider secondly as we think about this point the abundance of His grace. Let's talk for a minute about the sufficiency of God's grace. When I think about the sufficiency of God's grace, what what comes to my mind is the abundance of this grace. Drop down and look at verse 20 if you would. The latter part of verse 20, here's what Paul said. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Several times, about five times in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul will use this expression much more. And all he is saying here is that where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Let me just ask this question. How many people do you think on planet Earth have the idea that there are some things that they have done in this life that leave them in a hopeless spiritual condition. Did you know that there is no sin too great that can be forgiven? Did you also know that there is no sinner too wicked that cannot be forgiven? Somebody says, you just don't understand where I've been. You don't understand how deep I have been in a life of sin. Well, back up for just a minute and look at verse 6. When we talk about Christianity, let me ask this question. To whom is Christianity, the Christian religion, aimed? When Jesus came to earth, for whom did he come? Do you remember what was said in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21? The Bible says that Jesus would save his people from sin. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28? The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Do you recall Jesus having visited in the home of Zacchaeus in Luke 19? When he said, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, Jesus, as he would say, came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came and died for sinful people. Now, the sufficiency of God's grace, Let me just call attention to verse 6 again. Listen to what Paul said. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for whom? The ungodly. There is a difference between the godly and the ungodly. Jesus came and died for the ungodly. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates or manifests his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what about the sufficiency of God's grace? Do you remember what Paul said in verse 20? Where sin abounded, grace abounded more. So let me just call attention to the kinds of sin that God will forgive. What about somebody whose life is mired in immorality? Is there hope for that person? Sometimes we tend to categorize sin, don't we? The Bible simply says that sin is the transgression of the law. Sin ultimately brings death, Romans 6 verse 23. The wages of sin is death. The bottom line is sin, any sin, leads to separation from God. Individuals who do not have the blood of Christ are without hope and without God in this world. That's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. But Christ died for the ungodly. So what about the immoral? Do you remember in Acts chapter 18 at verse 8, the Bible tells us that Paul spent 18 months in the city of Corinth preaching the word. He spent 18 months teaching those people. And here's what the Bible says. Many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. What kind of folks are we talking about? What about those people that lived in Corinth? Look at chapter 6, verse 9, 1 Corinthians. Paul said, Know you not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor revilers, or drunkards, or extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But then in verse 11, here's what he said And such were some of you. Do you mean to tell me that where sin abounds, grace abounds more? That's exactly what I'm saying, that's what Paul is saying. So you've lived a life of fornication, God can forgive you. So you've lived in open adultery, God can forgive you. So you have been a practicing homosexual, God can forgive you. So you have lived the life of a drunkard, God can forgive you. So you have been a thief, God can forgive you. What about idolatry? What about somebody who is practicing a religion that is completely foreign to New Testament Christianity? Did you know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. Did you know that Luke said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other? There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What about somebody whose life is steeped in pagan idolatry? Let's say they are followers of Islam, the teaching of Muhammad. Let's say somebody's caught up in Buddhism or some other Eastern religion. Is there hope for that person? Can they be forgiven? In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, Paul talks about the church at Thessalonica. And in writing to those people, he said they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Can I be forgiven? If I know nothing of Christianity and I'm practicing some pagan religion, the answer is absolutely yes. What about somebody who is a murderer? Do you think God would would forgive somebody who has taken the life of another individual? Let me give you an example from the Bible. Saul of Tarsus. Do you remember when Saul of Tarsus... killed members of the church. He said, when they were put to death, he said, I consented, in Acts 26. When Stephen was stoned, Luke tells us in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, they laid their garments at the feet of a young, of a young man named Saul. Paul I believe, came to understand the great blessings of God's grace. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he talks about the exceeding riches, the abundance of God's grace and mercy. He said, this is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What did Jesus say? I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. When Paul recounted his conversion story, he said he was instructed to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. Now let me give you an example that is more contemporary. How many of you remember Jeffrey Dahmer? You remember him? He was a serial killer. Jeffrey Dahmer did a lot of very evil things. I'm not sure how many people he was responsible for killing. But Jeffrey Dahmer came in contact with the truth of God. He heard about the gospel and not only did he hear about the gospel but he obeyed the gospel. I had a conversation some years ago with Garland Elkins who was the minister for the Getwell Church of Christ many years ago and the Getwell congregation hosts the annual Spiritual Sword Lectureship and they produce a journal quarterly. Brother Elkins told me that Jeffrey Dahmer contacted the Getwell congregation and wanted a copy of one of their lectureship books. He said, you'll never, you'll never guess what lectureship book he wanted. The lectureship book was God Demands Biblical Preaching. Maybe that is somewhat of an interesting book to desire. When Jeffrey Dahmer was bludgeoned to death in prison. Brother Elkins said he was holding a meeting in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I think Brother Elkins had corresponded with Jeffrey Dahmer. And he said the news people interviewed him and they wanted to know, do you believe that God forgave Jeffrey Dahmer? And here was his response. If Jeffrey Dahmer did what the Bible said to do, yes, I believe he was forgiven. You may have been a serial killer, but God would forgive you. Listen again to what Paul said. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Thirdly, what about our attitude toward grace? Are there boundaries when it comes to God's grace? Well, the answer would be yes. Let's just talk for a minute about how we should view grace. Sometimes individuals have the idea, it's a mistaken idea, that grace is a license to just live any way you please. So Paul addresses that very fact. Look, if you would, at verse 1 in chapter 6. He asks the question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Some translations say, certainly not. Other translations say, God forbid. And the idea is, why would you want to continue living in sin? And the answer is, the reason is, you died to sin. Listen to what Paul said. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? When you became a Christian, when I became a Christian, we said, in effect, we are out of the sinning business. We have gone out of business in respects to that way of life. We're done with it. Now, does that mean I'm going to be, that I'm gonna be faultless, that I'll never sin? Absolutely not. Are there provisions when I do sin? Yes, there are. John tells us if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, The assurance is Christ's blood is constantly working in our lives. In verse 9 of 1 John chapter 1, he said, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In chapter 2, 2, he said, That if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In verse 1 of that same chapter, John said, my little children, these things I write to you, that you sin not. That's the ideal. Why? Because we're out of the sinning business. We're not practitioners of sin any longer. But what if we stumble and fall? What if we say or do or think something we shouldn't do? Well, John said, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. So there is the death of sin. Look at verse 3, do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. Like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Look at verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should no longer be slaves or servants of sin. All Paul is saying is, look, as a child of God, you've died to sin. And as a child of God, you have now dedicated yourself to being a servant of righteousness. Down in chapter six, in verses 17 and 18. So, our view of grace, and then what about the victory of grace? What about me as a child of God? If I live a faithful life until death, what are the promises before me? Drop down and look at chapter six. Verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. Now listen to him. And the end everlasting life. What is it that, what is it that you're striving for ultimately as a Christian? It's a home in heaven, isn't it? I mean, where is it we're wanting to go one day? We want to go to heaven, don't we? Jesus said let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions Jesus promised the apostles in the first century that he was going to prepare for them an eternal abiding place Peter said that as a child of God we have an inheritance he said it's incorruptible it's undefiled it fades not away it is reserved in heaven for you God has a place for you so Without the matchless grace of God, we would have no hope. But in Christ, we have hope. It's interesting that in Ephesians 2 at verse 12, Paul talks about those who are without hope and without God in this world. But in verse 13, he said, But now, present state, but now in Christ, you that once were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. You see, God's precious son went to the cross, died for our sins. Through the shedding of his blood, we have forgiveness, pardon, peace with God, and we live in hope of life eternal. Let me close by asking this question. Are you one of the beneficiaries of God's grace? Have you acted on God's grace? In other words, have you obeyed the gospel? Here's what you need to do. Believe Jesus to be the son of God. Be willing to repent of your sins. Turn from a life of sin. Confess his name before others. And then be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. Listen, when you die to the love and the practice of sin and you come up out of that water, the Bible says you are a new creation in Christ. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You get a new a new start on life maybe you're not what you ought to be maybe your life's not where it ought to be spiritually speaking you need the prayers of the church could we pray with you today as we stand in